It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know what's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, courtesy of The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real fans. It's a great mix of national voices that you already know, like Jay Glazer, Mike Sandell, Mike Lombardi, the late, great Don Banks, or for The Athletic, too, and awesome local writers. In fact, one of my buddies, Harif Hassan, covers the Vikings, and I was just reading an awesome article that he wrote about this critical offseason for the Vikings. So if you're somebody that likes coverage of your own team, Great, plenty of that, but if you're somebody that likes coverage of other teams like I do, you can get tons of great writers that cover teams besides your own, and as I said, great national writers too. And here's the best part, not only do you get first-rate reporting, but you get all kinds of great analysis, advanced analytics, in-depth player profiles, and more, and it's completely ad-free, no clickbait, just great content. Pro sports, college sports, The Athletic has it all. So if you're not subscribing yet, you're really missing out. Want to get in on the action? I got a great deal for you. Just for being a Play Like a Jet listener, you can go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and you'll get yourself 40% off a year subscription. 40%, that's a lot. Go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and get all of this fantastic sports coverage in The Athletic for 40% off today. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for the weekend mailbag. So for that, we welcome in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So let's jump right into the mailbag. Question comes in from Michael Palace. He says, Scott, you and the very big deal have talked about Gase's rigidness and stubbornness. Is it possible that what we see from Gase is all he knows as a result of an unwillingness to learn and or adapt? Basically, what I'm saying is maybe he can't change in terms of game plan because he doesn't know any better rather than simply refusing to do it. I guess it's possible. I would hope that a guy at his level would know more than the stuff that he uses. I think that it's more likely that he just has a certain way that he likes things done. And if you can't do it that way, he thinks that you're incompetent because everybody should be able to conform to his genius system. It's possible that he doesn't know enough outside of his own system and what he likes to do. And that's part of his rigidness. I think that he probably knows more than the system that he uses. He just doesn't want to incorporate that because it's not something that he thinks is effective. And in his mind, what he thinks is effective is what's effective because he's Adam Gase and he knows everything about offense. My my thinking here is just this is what a lot of coaches do. And this mm-hmm. is why I'm always saying a lot of coaches are bad and why they – uh, owners and GMs need to look at how they evaluate coaching 
because coaches are – this is just a common theme for a lot of coaches. Most coaches aren't Bill Belichick. They're not Mike Shanahan. They're not um, – you know, they're not Andy Reid. They're not willing to do certain different things. They want their exact system. They don't like to add on to their system. They don't like to add twists to it. And they don't like to change. They want every, that they do what they do because it's always worked. And I think the, the worst thing that ever happened to Adam Gase as a coach was that uh, Peyton Manning record breaking mm-hmm. year. Because Mm -hmm. since then, he was like, this is the way to do it. And it's like, yeah, that's the way to do it when you have Peyton Manning and those weapons and that offensive line. That is a very effective way to do it. When you have Sam Darnold and this uh, this offensive line and only the weapons that they have, you have to go about it a completely different way. And I'm – I'm sure that Gase is aware that there's other ways to do things. He just wants to do it his way because it's worked before, and by gosh, it'll work again. Next question comes in from Ian Bartholomew. He says, couple of quick hits. Scherf or Thune if the money is similar. Okuda falls to 11. Who else would need to be on the board for you to pass on him? Will the Khalil experience put the New York Jets off of Costanzo now since he has mentioned the possibility of retirement? That's an interesting question. Let's start with the first one. Scherf or Thune, if the money is similar, I'd go with Scherf. I think that he's just a much better player. I know there are injury concerns, but when it comes right down to it, I've got to go with the better player. Akuda falls to 11. Who else would need to be on the board for you to pass on him? For me, it would have to be one of the offensive linemen. Otherwise, I'd have to take him. Chris, I know that, again, this goes to your point about having to pick offense, and so I'm sure you would disagree. But as far as I'm concerned, they desperately need a corner as well. Okuda is the only corner that I would take at 11. I don't love the rest of this cornerback class enough to take one there. So if he's there at 11 and one of those offensive linemen weren't, I would probably take him. You probably wouldn't, and I'll let you talk about that in a second. As far as Costanzo, valid point. He has mentioned retirement, and so maybe if you're the Jets, you start to think this guy's got one foot out the door. Do you want to be committing this kind of money, especially since he's in his early 30s already? I do think that they're going to target him and try to sign him if he hits the open market, although I think the Colts may lock him up before that. But it's a valid point that you make, and I'm sure that Joe Douglas will at least consider it in the back of his head before he does anything crazy. So, Chris, I'm going to go through this one by one with you because I know that you have a memory that is very, very short term. So I'll give you each one bit by bit. Otherwise, you're going to say, what was that other question? Which one was that? So the first one here is Scherf or Thune if the money is similar. Yeah, I I'll agree with you and go Scherf. Um, I I have my uh, concerns and questions about Scherf though as well, um, and the injury related. But I'd I'd go Scherf there. Second question: Akuda falls to eleven. Who's got to be on the board for you to pass on him? An offensive player. I figured that was going to be your answer. <laughs> but also, Akuda's not going to be there at eleven. Of course, of course. But this yeah. is a theoretical. I know, I know, I know. But yeah. The Khalil experience, would that stop the Jets from going after Costanzo because Costanzo has mentioned the word retirement? I think there's a little bit of a difference between talking about retirement and actually retiring and spending a couple of months not uh, working out in training. Um, uh, remember, Khalil was nowhere near football shape. He had to work his way back into it, and that was a slow process. He couldn't really participate in training camp in preseason early. So, you know, if, if Costanzo goes 
and actually retires, I, I, I do think they would not try to bring him out. But just talking about it, I don't think would be enough to do it. Next question comes in from Michael Parsons. He says, would you rather have an elite defensive line with a poor secondary or an elite secondary with a poor defensive line? This is a tricky question because it kind of depends on what you mean by elite. So if we're talking like the San Francisco 49ers, I might rather have that because that's a defensive line that is a destroyer in the pass rush game. And so the quarterback is on his heels the entire time. But if you're talking about a defensive line that's dominant, but they don't get to the quarterback as much necessarily, let's say they're great against the run and they're solid against the pass, then I would probably rather have the elite secondary. But I guess if it came down to it, and you're telling me I could have an elite pass rushing unit or an elite coverage unit, I would probably go with the elite pass rushing unit. Yeah, it also depends on when we're talking about a poor, poor unit on the other side. Uh, where they're poor at too because mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Hey, give me a good pass rush with not great coverage corners but they can tackle mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm good with that uh you but you're giving me that elite pass rush with corners that can't tackle uh, that that might scare me because everyone's just gonna go um you know short quick hits and everything but I would I would take the pass rush. Uh, more often than not, I I would take the pass rush over the secondary. I just think that will help cover up the secondary more than the secondary will help cover up the pass rush because the best secondary imaginable will have will let guys free eventually. Next question comes in from John Frank. He says, has anyone been able to understand what role analytics plays in Douglas's grading system? For instance, wide receivers with Jerry Judy's size profile haven't fared well historically, possibly making him a risk in a deep wide receiver draft. Would love to know more about the grading system and what it values. Unfortunately, it's really hard to know because he hasn't had his own draft yet. We do know that there have been players he's had a hand in selecting both in Baltimore and in Philly. But you'd really have to sit down, look at all those players, see if you can figure out what they have in common, try and connect the dots. It's not the same as having a general manager with a long track record and knowing what they value specifically. So we're going to start to find that out with this draft. Unfortunately, we don't know yet. I wish I had a better answer for you, but that's the best I can do. Yeah, this we're gonna. This is a we'll have to wait and see. Uh, the, his first draft class will tell us a lot about that type of stuff with him. Um, but one thing I will lean on is where he came from, where he spent his time in Baltimore and Philadelphia. And we know how analytics based they are. So I would think that it is going to play a part. Uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see though, for sure. Um, a, until we actually see what his draft looks like. Next question comes in from Brett the Jet. He says, does Gase get the full year or if the Jets start 0-4 with a chance to save the season, could you see them making a change, perhaps getting rid of Gase and promoting Greg Williams to interim head coach? I don't think that's going to happen because Christopher Johnson seems very tied to Adam Gase. I think at the absolute worst, he would get fired at the end of the season. I don't think he'd want to cave in to pressure from the media or to fans. We saw that this past season. As I've talked about, this is a big ego thing with Christopher Johnson as well. 
He tied his own reputation to the hiring of Gase. Remember, he said he didn't care about winning Twitter. He didn't care about winning press conferences. He cared about winning football games. And Gase was coaching offense to where the NFL was going, and he was going to be great for Sam Darnold. I don't think four games would be enough for him to change his mind, especially since he's probably convinced right now that Gase did a great job down the stretch going 6-2. and two. Now, the only way that I could see this changing is let's say Woody Johnson comes back from England and he's sitting there and he sees this, then maybe he is the one that pulls the trigger because remember, he's not the one that hired Gase and he won't care so much about what the repercussions would be in that regard. So if Woody's back, maybe. But if Christopher Johnson is still in charge, I don't see this happening. Yeah, I just don't see it either. Um, I, I get it and I, I would want to but i just i just don't see it happening next question from peter j diller gentlemen and gangsters if the jets must trade bell because of that awful coach the usurper i love it peter keep calling him the usurper would you be okay if the team traded for a starting offensive lineman i mean not even a pro bowler just a solid starter if so who would that be and yes they still might have to offset some of the salary yeah, look, if they're going to trade Le'Veon Bell, I'd totally be okay with doing it if you can get a starting offensive lineman. I just don't think that's realistic. As far as who they could get, I honestly don't know, and I really don't think that any team's going to trade a starting offensive lineman for Le'Veon Bell at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'd absolutely do that. Uh, I just, yeah, I don't know who that would be. I can't, I, I, I can't think of anybody. Again, you know, fans always want to go to um, getting off. Of, it's hard to get off good offensive linemen. The the ones that you could get for in a Le'Veon Bell trade probably aren't going to be good enough. But if if I could, if you could do it, I would absolutely do that in a heartbeat. Um, I just don't. The teams do not like parting with good offensive linemen. There's just not enough of them in this league. Almost way more teams than not still need more offensive linemen teams aren't in the habit of getting rid of the good ones next question comes in from ben marsh he says so how many more years do you guys think it will take before we're finally talking about the next game for the jets instead of the next draft in late january Ooh, it's been a while hasn't it I'm really hoping that Joe Douglas starts to turn the corner. I can't give you a definite answer, Ben, but if he's able to have a strong draft and do well in free agency, we'll at least start to see this team move in the right direction and hopefully within the next year or two, maybe. Um, can I say when Adam Gase is no longer the coach? <laughs> that um, certainly is part of it. And that's why I said hopefully within the next year or two, because I'm hoping that after this coming year, 2020, that he wouldn't be here anymore. But who knows? Yeah, and I mean, who knows? It, it's possible that they make enough of the right moves. Of course, the schedule next year is much tougher, so uh, we're gonna we'll talk about that as the season approaches. But I don't know that uh, fans really have uh, a grasp on how much tougher the schedule is going to be for them next year, um, as, as just the travel aspect of it alone. But uh, talent wise. They're they're closer than I think people want to give them credit for, but coaching wise, they're they're farther than a lot of people want to give them credit for. Next question comes in from the Jet Ranger. He says, "Who would you like to see on the team as the backup quarterback next year?" I would love to see them take a stab at Marcus Mariota if they could get him. I think Mariota may get a chance to start somewhere. The problem is I don't think he fits what Gase likes to do. So even if they got him, it would be kind of a waste. 
I'm trying to think off the top of my head of who it could be. I think a solid, decent veteran, even someone along the lines of Simeon, although I don't know that I would want Simeon back, but somebody like that, just somebody who started some games and who's not going to embarrass you because we've talked about this before. If Darnold gets hurt for the long haul, the season's pretty much over. You just need a guy that can step in for a couple of games and not let the season slip away. If there's a long-term injury, it's not going to matter one way or the other. You're just looking at a guy that you think can hold down the fort for a bit. Josh McCown would have been perfect. Perfect if he was still around Somebody like that I'm trying to think of who you could get But off the top of my head I'm not coming up with anybody But that's the type of quarterback That I'd be looking for Yeah I mean I'm good with Mariota That would be fine After that I just I just don't get whoever it, like I understand And agree with everything you're saying But at the same time I just don't know that there's going to be Any type of uh, real difference maker there and Mariota, I, I don't know that Mariota is going to get a, a, a shot at a starting job next year, but he's going to get paid uh, as a very expensive backup. So maybe you don't want to do that. Um, you know, go after someone like Andy Dalton. I mean, but like that's the thing is like that's obviously not inspiring at all. <clears throat> but I, I can you do better than that? I don't I like. And if they don't fix this offensive line and don't uh, get enough weapons, then Dalton would be a disaster. But if if you they do build the offensive line up enough and to keep Robbie and get one more receiver, uh, I'd be good with Dalton. Next question comes in from Gus Toon. He says, do you think it's more important to build the offensive line to be more run-focused or pass-focused? We all know how a good run game helps the pass, which is where I'm going with this. I think Joe Douglas would do the same, Gase the opposite. I know it's important to have good run blocking, and you absolutely don't want bad run blocking, but if my choice is an excellent pass blocking line that's average in run blocking, or an excellent run blocking line that's average in pass blocking, you got to go with the upper crust pass blocking because it's just way more important, especially with Sam Darnold here. Especially with Sam Darnold, especially with Adam Gates. Because, I again, I think you could get away with more of, um, you know, a, a less uh, quality pass blocking if they got Darnold on the move more, if they moved his pocket, if they got moved – him around bootlegging more, but obviously that's not what Gase wants to do. So <clears throat> that makes the pass blocking that much more vital. Next question comes in from AJ Tronzano. He says, if Robbie Anderson signs elsewhere, which I expect is Demarcus Robinson from the chiefs, a good option. I think he might be still young, has experience similar to Anderson, but Anderson is a better version. Thanks. I wouldn't be against signing Demarcus Robinson. I don't think he gives you what Robbie does, but you're going to need something. I think we talked about this before, but Albert Wilson would be on the table if he gets released by the Dolphins, which everybody expects. So those are the type of guys you're looking at. And to me, that's another reason why you really got to go all out to try and sign Robbie if the price isn't astronomical, because the other options are just nowhere near the ballpark of what he can bring to the table for you, especially if you fix that old line and have the ability to go deep to him next year. Yeah, I mean, I like the player. And I wouldn't be against bringing him in as, you know, a fourth, fifth receiver. But at the same time, he was with Mahomes in that Chiefs offense this year, and he wasn't exactly lighting it up. He made a couple 
uh, big plays early in the season. Um, and he, I'd be good with bringing him in as a depth piece, but he's not somebody that I'm getting in like, all right, we're you're set at receiver now. Let's go. Um, so I, I do think that that's probably a type of player Adam Gase would like. <clears throat> but again, the, you still need Robbie and you still need to draft, uh, uh, you know, an outside guy. Um, and then that would make that look a lot better. If, if, you're, if we're talking about Albert Wilson, Jamison Crowder and, and Robinson, that's not going to excite me. Next question comes in from Darren White. He says, the approaching draft has led me to thinking about some recent Jet first-rounders. D. Milner, <laughs> oh man, Calvin Pryor, and Darren Lee. Which was the worst pick? Which was the most surprising bust? The worst pick of the bunch has to be Milner because he was the highest pick. I thought the most surprising, and this is just for me, was Calvin Pryor because of the three, he's the one I like the best, and he's also the one that showed the most promise. So Calvin Pryor, if you remember, his rookie year was very shaky, but his second year, 2015, the year the Jets went 10-6, and six, he actually played pretty well, and so everybody thought they'd found a long-term starter there, and then the wheels fell off in 2016. Darren Lee, I never believed in to begin with out of Ohio State, and he just never got going. And D. Milner, I also never believed in, plus he had the injury coming out of Alabama, and so that one to me wasn't as surprising. But I think the worst one of the bunch was Milner because of where he was picked, and the one that was the most surprising for how it turned out was Pryor. Uh, see, I'm going to shoot D. Milner some bail here and because I wasn't a fan of the pick at the time, um, but the injuries were a big problem. And he did have a stretch, too, where he played really well, especially remember that game against Josh Gordon. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I, I still think you can pin it on the injuries uh, more so than any of the other players. Um, but, man, that's tough. They're all bad. They're, they're all really bad. I'm going to say Pryor was the worst, though, uh, just because of uh, – the way it played out, the way he handled himself and having to trade him at the time for Demario Davis, which was like, what are either of these teams doing at the time? Obviously, Demario has turned things around. <clears throat> um, but I'm I'm going to go with him the, as the worst. And I, I agree with you about D. Milner, but I'm cutting him a little bit of slack because of all the injuries. Now, that that you can argue that made him is why it made him such a bad pick. But I'm still – I tend to uh, be a little more forgiving to, to players when they just keep getting injured like that. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com.
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Sebastian Strunk. He says, what would contracts for Alex Lewis and Kelvin Beecham look like? I can't imagine the market for these guys would be huge. One-year prove-it type deal for Lewis. Or is there a market for him that doesn't make that possible? Is there a team that could possibly pay Beecham over $10 million? I think it would be a wise decision to try and keep some offensive linemen. Because of cap reasons, I see Winters getting cut. And I see Alex Lewis as a starter with another offensive lineman drafted or signing free agency, possibly Scherf. So my question is, how much money would you invest right now in a new guard? And what's Lewis's value? So with Beecham, I don't know that any team has given him above $10 million, but the market for offensive linemen is weird. So if some of these guys go off the board quickly, anything's possible. You could see something where someone gives him like one year, 10 million or one year, 8 million, something like that. Alex Lewis Ah, I don't think his value is that high. I thought he got off to a decent start and then really regressed and showed that he's more of a backup than a starter. So I don't think he's going to get the kind of money that you would expect a starting guard to get. But again, I could be wrong. Maybe he gets $5 million a year, something along those lines. I would love to not keep Beecham or Lewis in an ideal world, but I understand that it's going to be hard to get five new starting offensive linemen. So if they bring back Lewis to at least compete for the job, if the price is reasonable, I'm okay with that. I don't think Beecham wants to come back, but if they bring him back on, say, a one-year deal or something, I'd be okay with that. And as far as guard, it really depends on who you're talking about. If you can get Brandon Scherf, then invest the money. Why not? But it really depends on who's available. I'd be willing to spend a good amount of money on a top flight option like Scherf. But if it's a lower rent option, then maybe about half of what Scherf would get is what you would want to spend. And then you go into the draft and see what you can get there. We talk about this all the time. Free agency means you have to overpay for players. Mm -hmm. It means that even more so with a, a position like offensive line where, again, there is a real lack of talent around the league and most teams are struggling to field five really good offensive linemen. So it's really hard to gauge this with offensive linemen because all it takes, it's this, that old axiom, all it takes is one. And if, if it goes down and you see 
Scherf and Thune go off the board. Then all of a sudden, somebody might be like, hey, we need to give Alex Lewis the bag. And uh, at that, it makes perfect sense for Alex Lewis to sign like a one or two year deal. But uh, but there could be somebody who's like, oh, my God, we need to just throw everything we can at him because we need something. Um, so it's really hard to gauge there. And the Beecham thing is is tricky because he's obviously getting up there in age. Um, he's still a solid player, decent enough. But uh, how much longer is that going to be? So how long of a contract is he looking for? But, the, I mean – the honest answer is they're both going to cost more than you really want to pay. Next question comes in from Randy Sherman. He says, according to Sports Facts, the Jets are third in the NFL most injured teams from 2015 to 2018, the last four years. I'm sure they probably had the most injured players in 2019 as well. Is any department or person accountable for this, or is this just Jets luck? It's probably a combination of both, to be honest with you. I've heard some things about the training staff that haven't exactly been complimentary, but when you're talking about this many injuries, a lot of times it comes down to luck as well. So I would say it's a combination of the training staff probably isn't the best, and they're just getting a lot of bad luck. And again, this this has followed Gase around too. So, um, I I think there's definitely it, there's obviously luck involved with injury. Uh, uh, there's also you know every year Quincy Nunwa is one of those injuries. So there's some repeating stuff there too. Um, it's also just part of the NFL now. Um, very few players make it through 16 games without some type of injury that keeps them out for at least a little bit. Um, but it's just an impossible thing to quantify an impossible thing. to know because football is a violent game. And even when it's not a violent game, it's so easy to just like roll your ankle. So next question comes in from not Carlos Beltran's niece <laughs> says name the jets offensive line on opening day in 2020. This is a tough one, but I'll do my best. So I'm going to say at guard, they're going to bring back Alex Lewis and they're going to sign Joe Thune from the Patriots. So those will be your two guards. At tackle, you'll be looking at a competition between some sort of veteran and Shuma Adoga for one of the spots. And the other spot, there'll be a rookie that'll be ready to start. And at center, I think that they're also going to have a rookie. So I think you're going to have two rookies in place. And then you're going to have two guards that'll be veterans, Lewis and Thune. And then one of the tackle spots will be a battle between Adoga and some sort of veteran. Unfortunately, this far out, that's about the best. I can do for you in terms of predictions yeah I mean that's that's tough uh to do all of that uh I'll stick with Harrison at center right now in case unless they can get one of the the couple uh available guys in the draft um I'll I'll keep Alex Lewis as well I'll throw in Scherf or, or Thune there and then I think uh you're gonna get two maybe even three rookie uh, offensive linemen starting next year. So, um, yeah, that's really the best I can give you as far as predicting the uh, offensive linemen at, at, at this point. That's going to wrap up part one of the mailbag. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow for part two. In the meantime, check out Chris on Twitter, at CNimbly, and at Jets Insider, and read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. Also, Make sure you're listening to all the other podcasts that we did earlier this week. We had a lot of really awesome ones. On Monday, a brand new roundtable with Dennis Wazak, 
the reporter covering the Jets for the Associated Press. We talked all about the New York Jets and, of course, a little bit of music, too. Then on Tuesday, it was part two of the Sam Darnold Project with Michael Nania going through every single start of Sam Darnold's young NFL career. We got through weeks four through six of the 2018 season. Some interesting observations there. Remember, Michael went through and graded every single play of every single game and then came up with game-by-game grades. So we're going to hear about that and how they compare to PFF as well. Then on Wednesday, it was midweek with Manish, a brand new episode, taking a look back at the Rex Ryan era with some fun stories, including which Jet once referred to Tom Brady as the most overrated player in the NFL. If you missed that, check that out. On Thursday, another brand new roundtable with Joe Caparoso. It was part two of a discussion that we began on the Turn on the Jets podcast, and it involved Joe's 12-point bold plan to transform the Jets over the course of the 2020 offseason, so you don't want to miss that. On Friday, a roundtable with a very interesting and different guest, the rapper On Cue, who's a huge Jets fan and really knows his stuff too. He really, really, really wants to build that offensive line, let me tell you that. But he had a lot of interesting ideas about where the Jets should go in the 2020 offseason and also had a cool critique of Le'Veon Bell's rapping. So make sure you caught all of those episodes of the Play Like a Jet podcast. And make sure to give a five-star review to this podcast, Played Like a Jet, and Joe Caparoso's Turn on the Jets podcast. If you're a fan of the shows, it's an easy way to help out. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it does a lot for us. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.